You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. And we're live. Hey people, how you doing? Welcome to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, recorded live every Tuesday night at eight o'clock on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. Um, my name is Matt Phillips. I'm the creator of OneChatLive.com. Unless you don't, unless you don't recognise the voice, and if you are listening to the podcast, then thank you very much. Uh, we are recorded live, so if you do want to join us, then like I say, we've got to do is head along on a Tuesday to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. If you do choose to join us live, then you can obviously ask our guests questions direct. And when you do say something in the YouTube chat, then I can bring your question up onto the screen. For example, Nikki Mansfield, how are you doing? First through the door tonight in our live lounge. Nikki Mansfield says, at Glenn, we're so keen. Matt's always late compared to us. Okay, maybe that was a message I wasn't supposed to see. Nikki Mansfield slagging me off behind my back. That's fine. Hope you will, Nikki. Um, yeah, so people are coming into the live lounge. You're welcome to join us if you listen to the podcast. It's a really nice way to um, network. You can bring your logo up if you'd like it on the screen. Meet people from your region because normally the regional reps join us, etc., etc. But of course, if you're happier listening to the podcast in the peace and quiet of your own armchair with a cup of tea, that's great. But do us the favour of leaving a rating and a review because it does help us or the more importantly, the message from our superb guests arrive higher in the Google searches, which is what it's all about, getting the good word out there. Anyway, so this month, um, our focus on the Sports Therapy Association podcast is mental health and learning disability. So last week, my guest was James Chapman of allaboutthemind.com. Uh, he is an instructor for MHFA, which is Mental Health First Aid. I know it's a course that quite a few STA members have done and um, sung about, rightfully so. Uh, in this episode, coming up very shortly, in episode 137, I shall be talking with Alistair Beverly of theldphysio.com, where LD stands for Learning Disability. And then next week, in episode 138, my guests will be Ryan Smith and Jack Coward, who are creators and hosts of Let's Be Frank podcast, which is a mental health awareness podcast that gives men a platform and a safe space where they can stand up and speak out about their life struggles and mental health challenges. So that said and done, I don't want to keep my guest in the lobby any further. Let's bring up Alistair Beverly of theldphysio.com. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Alistair, how are you doing? I'm good, Matt, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks very much for joining us. I was just saying before, I'm very impressed with the steel behind you. People <laughs> who listen to the podcast can't see it, but this is a man of action who puts action behind his words. Uh, yeah, I'm a stereotypical physio doing my um, podcast from a, the, in, sat in the middle of a squat rack for anybody on, on a, um, a, a, a podcast only. Version. Yeah, people listening on the podcast these days no got idea. a cut off shirt, tattoos, uh, <laughs> beard, yeah. squat rack behind him. So yeah. stereotypical, but hey, there yeah. we go. We'll hide the protein shake, shall <laughs> the we? Protein shake. <laughs> no, but I really appreciate um, you coming on uh, on the show for us. Um, I saw you at Therapy Expo in November, mm, we did. Um, 
and uh yeah it was it was really great i'm not sure whether that was the first time you've spoken at therapy expo i forgot to look back for previous years yeah i know that they obviously finally got their proverbials together this year and decided to invite some good speakers um or, or they ran out of speakers and they, they found me i'm not sure which way around no but... no no. you're being too <laughs> modest they did and we we had a show <laughs> and we've had i think well we've been there sta's been there since the beginning when it was in mm. manchester but definitely this year well they had an advisory board yeah, which is unheard of for a convention. Normally, it's just who can we make the most money out of. But this year, they actually had an advisory board um, and asked different people in the industry, who should we have? So obviously, rightfully so, your name came up. And there was a, a larger variety. I don't know if you spotted it, but there yeah, was a no, larger I, I variety. Think it, was, it, was, it was definitely a change this year, which was changed for the better, I would say. I think so. I agree. I've, I've visited as a delegate in previous years. Um, mm. So it was nice to be able to be on the other side of the podium, I think. Fantastic. It's and... Nice and you were happy, were you, with the message you were able to deliver in Theatre B? I think it was. It was Theatre B. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it was. It was. It was the right message. It's, I'm not known for being somebody who's got all the clinical answers for ankles and feet and knees and backs, but I'm somebody who carries, I think, a larger message about people and about mm. how we approach people and view people and how we can learn skills from specialities that can benefit every person that we treat from now to the end of our clinical careers. Definitely. Exactly. Well said. I think actually if, if we, if I say the name of your presentation, that opens nicely into what you're all about and your background and the message you're trying to get through. So your presentation title was diagnostic overshadowing when the correct diagnosis can kill. And we were talking a little bit off air saying, God, that's a bit, clickbaity but in reality it's 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 not is it no no and i, you know, I think the definition of clickbait is something where the, the title is very alluring but there's no substance behind it um and the concepts of diagnostic overshadowing is very real even if people haven't come across it um i talk about diagnostic overshadowing which is the concept so we talk about the correct diagnosis and that's where a person will have a diagnosis in, in my sense of a learning disability or down syndrome or or, or autism um, and that will then blur out every other clinical presentation that that person may present with. Um, and so we may put down somebody with a learning disability banging their head against a wall um, because, well, that's what they do. They've got a learning disability and we might ignore a huge tooth cavity or oral cancer or severe headache that person's got um, because of a blood pressure issue or a clot. You know, it could be many one of things, but the fact of the matter is that it doesn't, those things don't get investigated because the clinical presentation is put down to the fact that they're autistic or have a learning disability. Um, in very serious cases, um, such as unfortunately one that happened uh, to my brother, um, his pain presentation from abdominal pain wasn't believed um, and a strangulated hernia was missed on three occasions. And that ended up with my brother going into cardiac arrest and passing away very suddenly. Um, now, if you or I had presented with acute abdominal pain vomiting, um, the likelihood is that we would have had some screening done, um, some scans, um, not just uh, discharged with pain medication. Um, and that's what happened to John. Um, and John's not with us anymore as a result of that. I believe um, the investigation is still ongoing, but I believe very much down to the fact that, well, of course, he's going to be more flamboyant with his pain presentation. He's got Down syndrome. He's not going to be able to explain to us what's happening. So we don't need to investigate that. And the concept of diagnostic overshadowing isn't just limited to learning disabilities. This is Learn Disability and Mental Health um, Month. 
um, and mental health is another area where diagnostic overshadowment is rife. Um, you get somebody who has a mental health issue, maybe an episode of psychosis in an extreme example, and they're saying, you know, my, my arm feels like it's falling off or, or, you know, I've got this pain here. And how much of that diagnosis of a mental health issue overshadows taking that person seriously and, and investigating what could be a very serious clinical pathology. Um, it happens in uh, the care of elderly people in terms of um, looking at people with dementia. Um, and, and I'm sure it happens in, in a good number of other areas. It happens quite a lot, not necessarily from a diagnostic point of view, but that overshadowing happens with new mums um, quite often as well. So, you know, oh, it's a new mum, they're always going to be worried. It's a similar sort of thing. And again, that can have severe consequences for, for neonates. So, so yeah, it was clickbaity, um, but it wasn't without substance. Um, and I think it's an important message to, for us to be able to sort of almost check our thinking when we're supporting people who may have needs that are additional to um, normal, and I use inverted commas for normal um, clients within a clinical setting. Yeah, that's it's it's fascinating how how you've shown counting on nearly two hands how it can surface in, in other populations. Um, mm. um, yeah, it's shocking, really. So, is this something? Have you got any idea how kind of rife this is, or how much it happens in healthcare? Predominantly, I guess you work with physios, maybe, or yeah. So, the, one of the things that we have within learned disabilities, um, I sort of joke that within learned disabilities, we've given up on trying to research how to keep people alive, and we've started to look at how people die. Um, by the way, I'm not known as being a very, as I said before, about knowing I've got all the answers, but I'm quite, there's some quite shocking statistics out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that happens is called the LEADER Project, which is learning from deaths of people with learning disabilities. And it showed that excess mortality rate, so people who die from preventable, sorry, the people who die from preventable healthcare conditions, around 50% of people who die who have a learning disability die from preventable healthcare conditions. And and that those are conditions as screened by the International um, Centre for Disease, you know, the, the sort of definitions on there. Um, for comparison, in the general population, it's around 20%. So there's 30% extra, and almost half of people who have a learning disability who die, die from preventable healthcare conditions. So for me, I believe diagnostic overshadowing to be probably one of the biggest killers of people with learning disabilities. Now, that's not something you can prove, because who's going to admit and say that, yes, they had a learning disability and that's why I didn't do anything. But the data is there that when people with learning disabilities turn up in clinical practice, they don't get access to the same standard of healthcare. And I believe that diagnostic overshadowing is the primary reason for that. Wow, that is incredible, 50%. Yeah. What do you think the, or maybe it's a combination of reasons or factors for diagnostic overshadowing? I mean, initially, me and my ignorance, I think that maybe a, some of it may be down to fear um, mm-hmm. in less experienced healthcare practitioners of doing the wrong thing. or And the other one might be a slight kind of confirmation bias. We think, oh, these people are always the same. They're always doing that or rubbing their heads or, you know, mums to be always going to be complaining or worrying about baby. Yeah. Is it a combination of both in your experience? Or Yeah, I think so. I think the primary driver that we have is that none of us in our training and i say none of us very 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 few of us across all healthcare professionals and i I include sports therapists in that in that banner get access or exposure to people with learning disabilities they are another thing they are a specialism i've just done a video actually i did a thread um 
the other evening talking about, you know, if you've got a back problem, you're going to see a back specialist. If you've got a shoulder problem, you're going to see a shoulder specialist. If you've got a knee problem, you see a knee specialist, et cetera, et cetera. Person with a learned disability, if they've got a back problem, they go to the learned disability service. If they've got a knee problem, they go to the learned disability service. If they've got a respiratory problem, they go to the learned disability services. They get marginalized and they have reduced access to mainstream healthcare providers um, and the experts in the field. And, you know, w- within the case of, you know, sports and, and, and massage and, and rehabilitation, you guys are the experts. So why would we settle for less? Um, but our system promotes marginalization and, and and by extension, our probably our unconscious thinking promotes that because we're not trained in it. We're not exposed to it. So therefore it's a scary thing for us. And it's, fa- it's fine to say that, you know, I, I often try and say that, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a safe space for terminology with me because if we don't allow people to try and say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing, then how are we going to learn to do the right thing? So what happens is because people don't know, they don't engage and they don't engage with me on social media and that's fine. But then when it comes to a clinical setting, they don't engage with that person and they just refer on. They see learned disability. So they see like low back pain, um, neural symptoms down limbs, tightness in hamstrings and learned disability. Now, if you can remove the word learned disability off there, all of those things are things that you'd normally accept with a referral. But because it's learned disability, that just means we go, well, um, we'll pass that one on to the jacks of all trades. That's very interesting. Yeah. So we never gain experience of working with people with learning disabilities because they're not um, because they're, they're kept within that specialism and yeah. sent to somebody who's so we don't get better at doing it. And and they stay that solitary figure in the street. We might walk past, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, and know nothing about. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in so much as, you know, we don't see people because we're scared and then we don't see people. So we become scared because we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of becomes a bit of an infinite loop on, on that side of things. So what we, what I'm trying to do is trying to, you know, part of my raison d'etre for, for setting up as myself as a, going standalone was to say, look, you know, let's, let's try and upskill healthcare from the inside. There are plenty of self-advocacy groups for people with learned disabilities saying we deserve better. There's plenty of families and campaigners for people with learned disabilities saying we need to be better, but there's not many healthcare professionals saying we need to be better. So I'm happy to be the loudmouth Yorkshireman with a big gob and say we need to be better and this is how we can do it. I'm just delivering a message from the inside, the same message. No, it's amazing. It's um, And speaking of the message, I want to draw attention to everyone listening to the podcast you can't see what i'm bringing up on the pay on the uh, youtube screen here but um the website i'm going to put this on large so everyone can see but we can still hear you behind alistair so if you go to the website um theldphysio.com there's a wealth of information on there i recommend that everyone listening to the to the uh, podcast does go there theldphysio.com and one of the things which links in very much with what you said so far is the story of you with your older brother jonathan who tragically, as you say, passed away um, a few years ago now, a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, 2020, 2020, I think it was. Yeah, oh, horrible. Um, and on here, you've got a blog, John and Al, um, <laughs> which come up with um, some stories. Um, I think it starts from when you guys were kind of three and five years old or something, um, which for me, it had a clear message. Um, and people who are watching in the live land, you can see... Um, the time John farted at Cubs, the time John and I went shopping on our own ages for four and five. And there's John getting pissed at my wedding day. 
what what's the message you're hoping that people get from here? I wonder if it's the same as I took away. For, I mean, I, I set up the blog. There's a part of a few ways of doing it. You know, let's talk about mental health. I think part of it is genuinely probably part of a grieving process and trying to keep John's memory alive. Um, I didn't start social media work as the LD physio after John died. I was doing that before. I was preaching these messages before John died. And, you know, it still happened to John. So part of it is going to be, you know, let's let's keep John's memory alive and let's maybe me process and um, so it may have come from a selfish place but what one of the things as I was starting to write them was they're, they're sort of twofold one is to say that my childhood was normal for me um and, and people might say well how, you know it's not going to be normal is it because you've got a disabled brother but I, I, I often say to people do you remember the first time you spent Christmas at somebody else's house other than your family house and there's so many times you will just accept what you do as Christmas tradition to be what everybody does as Christmas tradition. And it can come as quite a jarring situation when you come to a friend's house or a new partner's house or whatever your first experience of Christmas away from your parents is. They're like, you do what on Christmas Day? You you, you open your presents at this time. You, you, eat, you eat this then. You have alcohol in the morning. You, you know, all these traditions that you took as canon for everybody around the world, you accepted. And as kids, and as a kid myself, growing up with an old with a disabled brother, it just was. So, one of the things that I'd my, my you know what I'd love to see is normalisation of disability. And through this blog, I'd like to show that my childhood, although I now realise, you know, in those times when you start to talk to other people, you realise maybe maybe getting dropped off at your grandparents at two o'clock in the morning in the middle of the night because John's ill, or taking your year six sats in the hospital school or knowing the hospital school teachers off by heart, you know, first name terms because you were there so often, maybe it wasn't part of a normal child, but at the time it was. So I want to try and normalize that process and say that, you know, my childhood for me was normal, but also hopefully there are some salient points from each one of those blogs at the time John set me on fire. Um, the, the point that people take to that is not that all people would learn disabilities are arsonists. It's to say that John had actually, even as a, a four-year-old, child with a learning disability had observed my dad doing a skill tried to replicate that skill and actually did a damn good job and if you, i'll let you read the blog to find out why we got set on fire and what that means but he did a really good job um and maybe we underestimated up, up until that point but we certainly didn't after that it is an amazing blog and yes that's exactly what i took away it's it's the normalization of it and realizing that these people have fears as well as they have moments where they're laughing their heads off, where they know they've had a too much to drink, where they're <laughs> uh, the one that got me and choking me out was, was I don't want to get too much away because I want people to go to the site, but where he stopped you from maybe getting beaten up. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, the time, time John saved me from the bully. Yeah. 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 He was my big brother. So, you know, why wouldn't yeah. he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Anybody else is there at a play school with your older brother and somebody's picking on you. Your older brother's going to go in there and sort him out. And mine did. And, yeah. um, and yeah, 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 it still is. Uh, yeah, it still gets me a little bit, you know. I'm re- sure. Thinking back sure. about my daughter makes me read through them regularly. It, she she has to be a proofreader for each new blog, mm. and um, she sits there in tears. Bless her, she's only eight. But she sits there in tears just listening to the stories about him. So again, you know, she and she for him, you know, it, for her, sorry, an uncle with a learning disability was normal. Mm-hmm. So, I really admire and respect your honesty and openness as well about saying it was part of it was. 
you know, grieving process for me, you know, to continue mm. and get this story out. So that's, uh, it fits in really well, actually, with <laughs> this focus on mental health and everything, isn't it? That, yeah. you know, people got to talk about stuff, especially guys. Definitely. I think it's worth mentioning because I know John, um, had Down syndrome, mm-hmm. but of course, that's probably the most well known learning disability out there. Mm. But what else? I mean, people who should, who should be following you now, you've did a wonderful couple of thread or few threads, which what would you do if so-and-so with this learning disability came to your door? But other learning disabilities, which you think, are, I mean, they're all worth highlighting, but some, <laughs> some which you think people should be more aware of and they're not. Mm. Um, I mean, actually, funnily enough, down, uh, there was a study done and I can't find the original study, but I've still got the pie chart that shows that Down syndrome is actually one of the smallest percentages of the learning disabilities so they just do a little bit of myth busting on terminology before i get into the, mm-hmm. the clinical side of things is that a learning disability in the uk is and the medical definition is an iq linked um deficit in learning new things throughout your lifetime um it differs from uh, it, i use the term learning disability and intellectual disability interchangeably they mean the same thing intellectual disability is just the international terminology and learn disability is the term that we use in the UK. It may change in the future. Um, where people get conflated is learning difficulty, which is um, examples of which would be like ADHD, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, um, are areas where there is disability, but it is discrete and defined to a, a specific area of life. A learning disability affects all areas of life. You know, having dyslexia doesn't mean that you don't know that you need have a shower and help to get your breakfast in the morning and help to use public transport you know some of those areas it may be affected but it wouldn't be so wide ranging that you wouldn't potentially need help in all of those um and it's not helped though because learning disability in the us also includes the terms that we would use as learning difficulty <laughs> so if it was just talking to uk therapists and you know social media was confined to the uk it'd be very easy to define mm-hmm. but it sort of blurs the boundaries um the learning disability is not a medical healthcare diagnosis so i talked about it being a medical healthcare diagnosis but it doesn't affect somebody's ability to heal ability to fight off infection a learning disability is the result of a condition which predisposes somebody to having a lower iq um in it in of itself is not going to cause you any medical harm it just means that you'll need help and support and people with learning disabilities can you know have jobs get married have kids people frequently do um there's a great story of a turkish gentleman who had down syndrome um with a lady and his son's now a dentist um, it sort of went quite viral um but you know th- these things are all entirely normal um and so down syndrome is a condition um where you get an extra extra copy of chromosome number 21 um there are also different other forms of down syndrome which i won't necessarily go into now it's called mosaic and um translocation down syndrome um but it makes up a small fraction of the learning disabled disabled community um one of the challenges is that there are a lot of conditions that can reduce your iq such as trauma um before as a neonate um in vitro um so cerebral palsy um not everyone with cerebral palsy has a learning disability but um the people who uh, there's a decent proportion of people who have cerebral palsy who also have a learning disability as well because of the, the trauma that is you know um 
given to the brain. Um, there's, there, I mean, there's a good number. There's a, one called Williams syndrome, um, which is a, again, a gen- genetic, I'm going to use the phrase abnormality because it helps to be relatable, uh, a genetic difference um, where people have characteristic facial features. They're more prone to epilepsy. They can have social and anxiety issues. Um, there are, I mean, there are a number of different syndromes. Um, Williams is, is almost as common as Down syndrome. Um, there are, as I mentioned, cerebral palsy and with people with cerebral palsy, epilepsy is one of the biggest issues. Um, so it's not just about knowing the condition. It's about understanding that there is going to be clinical morphology attached to that. People with learning disabilities have four times more comorbid, comorbid conditions than the general population. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the UK, the population of people with learning disabilities is estimated to be about 1.5 million people. There's also about 1.5 million staff members of the NHS. And I'm sure we could probably all relate to having seen an NHS staff member in our clinical practice. But how many people have also seen a person with learning disability? And if anything, we should be seeing people with learning disabilities four times more frequently than NHS staff within our health, health and social care system. But it's not the way it is because of the things we talked about earlier. Um, so, you know, for example, somebody with Down syndrome, they will are more likely to have um, cardiac conditions. Um, atrial septal defects, j- just to name one. Um, hypermobility is is a real challenge. Thyroid issues, dental issues, um, epilepsy is more regular. And, it, and it's a case of, you know, when we're talking about supporting people from a health and well-being and fitness point of view, are we aware of those things? How do we give informed consent for our interventions if we're not aware that for example, somebody with Down syndrome, you know, it's about, about a third of people with Down syndrome have congenital uh, malformation of um, the heart. Do we know that? How do how can we how can we you know make sure from a legal standpoint and obviously a safety point of view that these people that we're giving the right treatments and giving informed consent? So so yeah, it's it's always tricky, and, and I sort of end up going off rambling because there's like seven different points that I want to try and ram into one question. Um, but yeah, Down syndrome is probably the most well-known. Um, it's nice to see that there are more people with Down syndrome in the media. Um, you know, anybody who watched the Strictly Special saw George um, absolutely kill it, to be honest. I thought he did a really, really good show. Um, there are more models um, for people with Down syndrome. That's really, really great. But the largest population of people with learning disabilities are those who have no name attached to it. Mm-hmm. So they just have a low IQ and medical health care isn't entirely sure what the cause is um, and so it's really hard to classify those people but that's estimated to be around half of people with learning disabilities just have global developmental delay or the term learning disability attached to them um, and so it's important that we're aware that not everybody that you're going to come with is going to come with this manual of you know that I can tell you that they're going to have epilepsy or they're going to have dysphagia they're going to have respiratory problems um, because for the largest part you're not really going to know which is a challenge. Definitely. I mean, everything you've said now, I guess, is going to be particularly a challenge for physios um, when they are diagnosing. And like you say, we've got the problem of um, diagnostic overshadowing and missing things. To bring it to soft tissue therapists, like I remember when I advertised that I was chatting with you, I had a couple of people who pointed out um, that their children, each of them had a child with a learning disability who actually went for regular massage 
Mm. Um, I don't think it was because of a particular sporting injury or anything. They just enjoyed that contact and it really helped in part of their their life and uh, both mentally and physically. Do you have any knowledge or statistics or research on encouraging and opening the door so that you know massage therapists should feel more keen on maybe even targeting that population to help them? Because massage therapists are a pretty altruistic bunch. I've always said if you want for a living to run your fingers through a hairy man's back or something with oil on it, you've got it. You're a giving type of person. So it would be lovely to try and connect that natural altruism with people who are really going to benefit from having that therapeutic touch. So. So I'm going to give you a little bit of soundbite here and say that touch is one of the greatest forms of communication that I utilize in my clinical practice. So, you know, a, a proportion, not everybody that I work with, but a proportion of the people I work with are not going to understand spoken words. So language is not going to be their primary form of communication. And so touch is one of the tools that I use alongside body language, alongside tone, alongside volume, alongside um, pictures, symbols, alongside vocalizations. Touch is a really, really useful tool that I use to communicate. I work with people who are deafblind. Um, so touch is the only form of communication that they perceive. It's not the only form of communication they see, obviously. There's, but, you know, in terms of me trying to, um, you know, in, in a therapy session, um, it's a really, really powerful tool. Um, and I think there's there are a number of potential reasons right one of the biggest ones i think is that i don't know if anybody's come across the, the term sensory processing before uh, if you haven't i'll just for those who, who have they're probably screaming at their, their monitors or skip a little bit ahead um but for those who've not come across it before sensory processing is literally our brain's ability to interpret sensory data from the world around us so wherever you are right now there's probably bright lights on um there's certainly a bright light one in front of mine and matt's faces right now um but we can filter that out and we can focus on what our brain perceives to be important. We can, um, there might be sounds around you and our brain can filter out the auditory information. If you're listening to this, hopefully you're clothed. If not, why are you unclothed and listen to this? Maybe don't do something else. Get out of the shower. Um, but your uh, sensory systems are not giving you constant tactile feedback that you're wearing clothes, you're wearing clothes. You're, you know, imagine you putting your socks on in the morning and all day your brain, your brain's going, you're wearing socks, you're wearing socks, you're wearing socks. It'd be quite distracting. But for some people who have sensory processing challenges, sensory processing difficulties, their brain can't filter that out. And so their brain can be um, under or over receptive to that stimuli. And touch is a really, really useful tool to help people modulate that. Um, because with that, you can not only give stimuli to Ruffini endings within the skin tissues, you can not only give joint proprioceptive feedback, um, you can help people through touch with vestibular feedback. If you move, help to move them physically, you can give um, the deep pressure that some people require. Um, and there's a lot of people I work with that, who use um, a, a therapeutic uh, method that people use to manage um, an under recept an under reception to um, to touch and proprioception is, is weighted blankets. So we use weighted blankets, weighted rucksacks, weighted jackets to give people a sense of feeling grounded. Um, so there's a good chance that those people, uh, not to diagnose people, you know, <laughs> over the over a, a podcast, but there's a good chance that those people were at the very least enjoying the feedback from a deep massage. In the same way that, you know, if somebody's dealing with somebody's feet, if you 
deal with the feet in a very light way, it becomes quite tickly and not a very nice stimuli. But if you <clears throat> have people who are tickly feet, the best way to do it is to get firm, lots of contact and be quite firm with that proprioceptive feedback that can help people regulate it in a different way. So um, touch is, is a really, really useful tool and a really, really useful medium. And I think knowing what touch to use and when to use it uh, are incredibly important skills. Um, so it's really pleasing to hear that people are getting exposure to people with learning disabilities and that it's a positive experience for those people. We should also say that people with learning disabilities exercise. Mm-hmm, not, of course. not, 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 not as, you know, the data doesn't suggest that it's, um, as a on, a, on a population level anywhere near that it needs, that it should be. Um, but there are a good number of people who exercise, um, and you know, there are, um, there are now, um, people with learned disabilities, people with Down syndrome who have undertaken Ironmans, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is incredible when you think about the heart response dose to exercise being reduced by about 20%. So their heart, the cardiac output is, has a reduction of about 20% to, to exercise relative to URI. Um, so they're operating, completing an Ironman. Uh, this guy called Chris in the US completed an Ironman with Down syndrome. Um, I just think it's incredible. So, you know, there'll be people needing to do, you know, sports massage and wanting sports massage and, and soft tissue work because they weight lift because they, um, partake in exercise as well. Yeah, definitely an amazing point to add because again, something that's kind of come up quite a lot in this show is obviously you've got to work within your own kind of like set knowledge and sphere of practice, scope of mm-hmm. practice. But I think massage therapists and sports massage therapists and sports therapists could fit in wonderfully into this multidisciplinary care as you, as it should be for any patient or any client. Mm. And even maybe if, if you're working with other people, encourage the movement, because again, somebody suffering from a learning disability, just because they have a learning disability doesn't mean they won't benefit from being educated on just move a little bit. You don't have to do exercise. You can play, you can have fun. This is another thing you could do and that sort of stuff. Um, and, and sports therapists and massage therapists, because normally they're private work and they've got the luxury of having an hour and they Mm -hmm. build that therapeutic alliance through touch so the patient is much more receptive to being educated and open Mm -hmm. rather than a 15-minute appointment with an NHS physio or something it seems to me a wonderful opportunity to play an important part in the welfare of of that individual yeah you you are you you, in in a similar way to physios you know I am a physio by trade and that just means that I started talking to physios because it's a low-hanging fruit for me. But the, the messages I, I play and, I, and I've you know, sort of talked at nurse conferences and speaking to some uh, British Medical Association work as well. And now obviously talking to you guys um, means that the messages are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the, you know, and particularly for you guys, the message I'd like to give you is that you guys, because you have that more of a protected time and, and, and potentially more of a, a conduit for more quality time and understanding the person can be great conduits to healthcare. You can take time to understand people better and then you would refer on in the same way that if somebody came up and they were looking like they'd got a, an axial spondyl, you know, an arthropy, but arth- yeah, if they could turn up with axi spondyl, um jack marsh will be turning his brain no turning i can hear yeah i know i know i can write it but i can't spit it out we'll edit it out i can never hear it yeah it's fine he didn't listen anyway it's fine um (laughs) don't tag him in this matt (laughs) oh it's wonderful just got my uh yeah yeah thanks for that one i'll I'll pay you a tenner um you know if somebody's going to develop 
rheumatoid arthritis, for example, then we would maybe refer on um, for some co-concurrent support with that. Um, and, you know, so we can take the time and you guys can take the time to listen to people and listen to family members, listen to carers if the pe person can't advocate for themselves. And if they're coming in with family members and carers, the chances are that they are going to feel more often than not a bit disenfranchised by healthcare systems. And you guys can be the people who help turn that tide. You can help advocate with that parent because it's all too easy for us as a healthcare system. If anybody works with people with disabilities and you've all probably come across it where somebody's passed across to you with, oh, that person's a nightmare. That's a problem parent though. They're a pain in the bum. And all of a sudden that discredits almost everything that person's going to say to you from here on in. Every, it, it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy and the same as with parents and people with learning disabilities. So you guys can spend that time learn the person learn more about their whole person and healthcare system and help that person to advocate for the things that they need amazing oh, great we've got some on the strength of what you've been saying and obviously encouraging people to get involved we've got some questions coming from the live lounge I'm just going to read a few of them out if you're listening to the podcast then these are questions coming from people who've joined us live. I can bring it up on the screen. Gary Benson, who's the founder of the STA, has joined us. Hi, Gary. Says, I didn't know what to expect this evening. Your story is really engaging, Alistair. I understand your motivation. I admire your quest to raise awareness. I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, that definitely reciprocates everything we're all feeling. Thanks, Gary. Thank you, Thank you Gary. Um, Catherine Reimer has said here again, something I'm sure a lot of people are thinking it's difficult as we could probably see certain disabilities as a red flag and refer on. It's looking at what training may be available so that we would know how best to help treat them. Um, and I think somebody else mentioned probably the obvious question in the room about, OK, where do we get training? Paula Ramsey has said as well, just bringing Paula's comment up on the screen. Where is the best place to seek advice on different disabilities for therapists? Well, there's some good news, isn't there, really? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know that she just dropped this in as we were kind of doing a sound check. But um, They've te teed me up perfectly for this, haven't they? This is great. I didn't know. And, and honestly, <laughs> this is not the reason that I've got Alistair along tonight. He just suddenly says, oh, by the way, um, I'm doing a course. Um, so, yeah, let us know all about it, Alistair. This is great. And this is like breaking news, isn't it? No one else has got this yet. Yeah, no, it's, it's not even been announced on socials yet. I thought I'd make this as the, the place that we announce it. Is we the, are yeah, I'm going to be hosting a course um on learning disabilities for mainstream healthcare practitioners it's an evolution of a course that i hosted last year um in a couple of places and we're taking it online to improve accessibility it's going to happen on april the 22nd um details will be sent out forthwith but if you want to register interest you can email me at um the physio at gmail.com um and we're going to be looking a bit more of a deep dive on learning disabilities, we're going to be looking at what it is, how you gain consent, what consent is, capacity, we're looking at the legal aspects of what you need to be doing as a therapist to make yourself legally compliant, because obviously we, none of us like the sound of going to prison, although with rising energy costs and food bills, you know. Mm. Um, and we're going to be looking, taking more of a deep dive into the clinical pathology and clinical morphology side of things. So, you know, if somebody with Down syndrome does come into your clinic, what do you need to be aware of to make an informed decision of what, what treatment you're going to do? When are you going to be looking to refer on? Where is your threshold going to be? Um, and also we're going to be looking at uh, how you can utilize skills that I didn't really, I sort of took for granted for the first sort of 10 years of clinical work um, that I now realize can benefit everybody. So 50% of my caseload right now don't have a learning disability. But the skills that I have as a clinician from learning disabilities, those people benefit from and clearly value because they pay me for my services. 
um, which might speak more about the availability of physios in Nottingham. But anyway, um, <laughs> there there are a lot of skills that you can take around seeing the person, um, looking at person centered care. Um, I mentioned before about consent and clinical capabilities. So we're going to be covering all those sorts of things. It's a one day course, um, 22nd of April. Um, and if you, it's a Saturday, if you want to get in touch, email the ldphysio at gmail.com. Yeah, I was perfectly tied up. Brilliant. That's amazing. Yeah, you get, uh, Saturday, April the 22nd. We'll make sure that links um, and details go into the show notes, which will be um, on YouTube. I add them to YouTube and also put them on Podbean, which is our host. And also it'll go on to the sta.co.uk. Um, another quick point for those of you who don't want to do a course and that's completely fine um one of the other reasons that i said at the website is there is an information section on there um i think under what we do and it's information for healthcare professionals and it talks you through in a little bit more detail than we've covered tonight some things that you should be aware of i.e that somebody comes into your clinic who has a learning disability what do you need to be aware of to make sure that you're compliant and that you can get the best from that for that person in that clinical setting so i think that's under um the ldphysio.com and under what we do, and then it's healthcare practitioners. Fantastic. So another reason to go to theldphysio.com. Um, there's a load of information on there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, great. Um, something you mentioned there, which <clears throat> rang a bell in my head. Yes, it was a great point because I've seen you write about this as well. Um, I mean, you've already mentioned how taking on an understanding diagnostic overshadowing can be applied to many other populations, which we might be guilty about when people said mentioned mothers with babies coming in hmm. um, all sorts of things um, where we could just use our confirmation bias, just to presume that that's something to do with their disability or, um, but also anyone who watches your videos and I recommend that you do follow, you might have already gathered if you're listening to this podcast, that there is a slight uh, Northern sense of humor going on there. Now, <laughs> and it comes out very much in, not on all his videos. I mean, sometimes you're, you're punching, you're, you're punching straight out directly at where, you know, the truth needs to be heard mm. and you do it in a wonderful way. And the next second you're doing something highlighting the fun. It seems to be your work seems to evolve a lot around fun. And I've seen you writing and saying, but that's the way it should be in all therapy, regardless of the person in front of you. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, who doesn't like having fun? Um, so I think, you know, a good, again, let's go back to learning disabilities and, and utilize where this concept came from. It's that, you know, some of the people I work with, if I told them you need to do 10 squats or I need to give soft tissue massage to a hamstring that's, you know, very painful, um, the likelihood of them going with that is very low because they may not have the secondary benefit. Look, if somebody told me that you could sit on the sofa and you'd be, you know, strong and fit and, you know, you'd, you'd have good fitness and, and live a long, healthy life, then I'd be all for that. The fact of the matter is that that's not how it works. And so I have the understanding of the need for exercise and that's almost my motivation. And even that's still not quite, you know, good for some nights when there's a Chinese takeaway or something in front of me, you know, temptation still gets the better of us. And so, you know, what, how should I expect people who, who have, you know, a, um, condition which may reduce their understanding of new information to exercise in the same way? So, you know, when you've got somebody who may be recovering from injury and it's time to do 10 squats on potentially a repaired ACL, you know, what all they're thinking is this guy's getting us to do something that's scary. And so I well actually if we say, okay, let's let's frame it in a different way, what we're gonna do is we're gonna change 
change the, the viewpoint and change the perception. We've got, what we're going to do is we're going to, I don't know, oh, polish the bottom, polish the bed with our bottoms, for example. Um, or we are going to look at, oh, I don't know, I, I can't think of any examples right now, but, but make it more fun and entertaining. Mm-hmm. Then that person is hopefully going to go, well, oh, I quite like you, hopefully. Um, I quite like what we do. It's fun. It's entertaining. And that's makes me, that's my motivation for wanting to do it rather than, you know, I need to understand the fundamentals of eccentric concentric, um, contraction and sarcomere length and all that sort of stuff, because that's, that's not what we want. And then I sort of made me think, actually, you know, I adapt my approach to everybody. As I said, some people I see don't have a learned disability and I communicate with, um, a gentleman that I see who's in his eighties, very differently to the um 28 year old gentleman that i see who's a newer rehab client um and i communicate with that person very differently to um, the people that i see who have potentially pathological demand avoidance and who are autistic and that personalization of approach made me sort of think well actually what am i trying to do with each person is i'm trying to make it enjoyable for that person and how do i do that is will i adapt my approach and i think this notion of professionalism and a kind of a one size fits all sit like you've got a, you know, a rod up your ass, excuse me. Um, you know, we must be professional. We must, uh, this uh, abstract concept of what it means is actually means that we deprive people of the best and the best that we have to give is ourselves. And, you know, I'm a fairly large personality. Um, and I, I know I, hopefully I can allow that to come across to engage people in their therapy. And how, how do we do that? We do that, and I do that by taking cues from the person. Um, you know, I listen, I try and engage people on subjects that are important to them and make therapy programs around what is important to that person. So I've had people who have created, I had, I had one person, this starts from a failure point of view. On my part, I saw a person who didn't want to engage in physio, didn't want to engage in exercise or activity. We really needed to work on his level of strengthening. Um, he was going through puberty and it was a real key point for it was delayed puberty got a real key point for bone density formation um and couldn't get him to do anything he'd sit on the floor he'd bite his hand and he'd rock and he'd just go i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to and it took me three months of twice a week sitting on the floor and that was kind of the point where i went what I'm trying here is I'm trying my approach and that's not working. I need to enter into your world. What this person was really interested in was galaxies and spaceships. And they were really interested in world building. Um, if anybody's not come across that concept, it's literally where you, you know, you have a blank slate and you go, I'm going to make a universe or a solar system. And these are the names of the planets in it. And then you derive this sort of law from that. It's a whole new world and opened my eyes to a lot of stuff on there. But we built a therapy program around, okay, so we've got some gym balls. What if they were planets? I created this character, and I remember to this day the name of the character, and it's such an obscure name, called the Gleidenschmitzen. Of course. And his character name was called the Krikalmutst. Again, just and we were valiant warriors going on a quest through this solar system. And we based it around work on a trampoline. Um and we had uh, an assistant who was, you know, rolling balls onto the trampoline and we started sitting on the trampoline, kicking the balls away and then on our bottoms. And then we'd work to being on our knees, throwing the balls away and then we'd be on our feet. And before you know it, this person's engaged in quite an intensive therapeutic program. Um, and that's just one example of how, look, we can make things fun. We can make things fun. We don't have to have the phrase terrorist associated to us. 
as you know sports therapists or sports mm-hmm. terrorists or sports massage terrorists um you know it can it can be fun and hopefully you know i think if we can all apply that logic to all of our sessions then people engage much better and people get more from it most definitely there's so much in there i'm so i'm I'm literally excited at the thought of people listening to this podcast when i put it out because it's so applicable the way you what you're saying can be mirrored to any individual as it with regards to listening to them i mean patient-centered approach i mean it's something that everyone bangs on about but not that many people actually do finding something that the actual patient is interested in and therefore going to do because we complain about non-compliance where we give exercises out and no one does them <laughs> yeah. and we blame the patient we go oh yeah. this runner they haven't done those calf raises that i told them to do it's terrible no wonder they're not getting better and with slowly more experienced therapists are realizing that if they haven't done them it's not their fault it's because either we haven't we've given them too much or we haven't explained it or we've just given them something which they can't fit into their lives because yeah. they're too busy or they're just it's not going to turn them on you know so there's so much in there which like you say can make you a better healthcare professional um through just thinking a little bit and taking a step back and putting the person in the center people don't fail rehab rehab fails them mm. more often than not there's obviously be outliers but i think that's a general rule of thumb to live by you've got some great um not one-liners that makes you sound kind of like Jimmy Tarbuck <laughs> or something. You've got some great kind of like slogans Slippets. or just slogans. things, sound bites, sound bites. That's good. It's not a t-shirt. It's not can't get wrong getting strong. No, it's not. It's never like the hip flexor. No? It's never <laughs> the hip flexor. The one which I really liked, um, well, there's, there's a lot, but the one that I noted again, as I was looking through your blog, actually, if you're joining this podcast late and you haven't listened to the beginning, then shame on you. You need to go back to the beginning because there's yeah. loads of good stuff there as well. But I think it came up, I'm not sure. I, I read it um, in connection, I think, to the blog you wrote about um, growing up with John and everything. And you put, let me quote it here. Da, 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 da. Oh, here we go. Yeah, I think it was around with a time where you got drunk at your wedding or something or something like that. <laughs> and and you put, and I quote, we shouldn't assume that people with learning disability, disabilities are angels. That crap balls my blood. It was a beautiful alliteration on balls, my blood, really emotive language with there, but really valid point, I think, because not always, but we do assume that again, I I paint this solitary figure of somebody maybe (laughs) with Down syndrome walking down the street. We don't talk to them. We don't know anything about them. And we imagine they're just angels, really affectionate. They love giving a hug. But again, that's not, that's not helping, is it? Yeah. <laughs> You're just enough one of my soapboxes here, Matt. And, and, and <sighs> completely that. Look, people with learned disabilities aren't angels sent from heaven. Hmm. Um, they are people. Um, and I often quote, I did a, 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 blog, a, a bit of a pre-COVID podcast called Tough Topics in LD. And we explored that notion with siblings of people with learned disabilities. Um, and I came up with the phrase, the right to be a dick. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were many times throughout my childhood that I fought with John. And like you would do with a, any other sibling. Um, and there were some times when I thought you're an absolute dick, but that is John's right, you know, and, and that's completely normal. And, and so, you know, this, this kind of putting on a pedestal, it sort of reinforces stereotypes about mm-hmm. people existing. And I, there was a blog post that I did uh, a Twitter um, post recently about there's a model who had Down syndrome um and in one of the modeling shops she's smoking she looks like she's smoking a cigarette and the internet was like up in arms like ah this is disgraceful and i was like well, it, just right change the lady for a lady without down syndrome and check your reaction mm. 
check your reaction to that because if you didn't have down syndrome would you be so up in arms yes okay it's not necessarily glamorized and smoking but what you're doing is you're perpetrating this the stereotype that people with learned disabilities should have their lives controlled they shouldn't do bad things and i'll tell you right now people with learned disabilities have sex my brother used to pinch a, a toke on my dad's cigar um my brother had a girlfriend you know uh, for many years and you know they most likely did the things that people do. People swear, people get drunk, people go out, people go clubbing, and it's all normal. Another thing on the side of that is that us, those of us who specialize in working with people with learning disabilities aren't angels. We're not We're not inspiration porn. People with learning disabilities are not inspiration porn. We're just clinicians trying to make a better healthcare environment and a better space for equitable access to health, social care, and wellness services. Because right now, Whatever we're doing, whatever we're trying isn't enough. We need to be better and we need to get the message out there. So any chance that I can get to come and talk or spread messages through, you know, social media or through, you know, silly merch, then, you know, th- those are great opportunities and we need to take them. Amazing. Brilliant. Talking of which, um, you are great on social media. Twitter, we've got at the LD Physio. These are all going to the show notes, by the way, if you haven't got a paper and pen handy. Instagram is at underscore the LD Physio, underscore again. Oh, I was so annoyed right? about it. So when I, when I first <laughs> registered with Instagram, right, it wouldn't let me have the LD Physio. And I was like, it's not on the bloody... Anyway, I, I obviously registered an old account and ended up cocking up Instagram. Yeah. So my Instagram and TikTok are both underscore the LD Physio, underscore. Yeah, Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, that's fine. That's brand happens. fail, brand fail. <laughs> I'm interested, actually, TikTok. I mean, I found you on TikTok, and and I want to know why you're on TikTok. I know why I'm on TikTok. Because it's a, TikTok? it's a useful editing software tool. <laughs> <laughs> make your video there and then show it and on then Reels. And yes, only, I'm not saying you should only follow me on one platform, but you get the similar sort of stuff. Now, um, there are different audiences on different platforms. Mm. Um, Twitter has its own audience um a good number of them quite a bunch of pedants um in my experience um twitter oh a bunch of pedants honestly well i've got somebody arguing about the posture i was doing a a thread on um clinical morphology and down syndrome and got into an argument over somebody argued whether or not there should be an apostrophe in it and or yeah it's like you're missing the entire point anyway um instagram has a different um different vibe and a different group of people and a tiktok is one of the biggest apps for young people and although i've spent probably got more videos and followers on there um it's a useful tool and mm-hmm. you know anything that we can do to influence one person if i can change one therapist or one healthcare professional's approach to somebody with learning disability it'd be worth it no i'm glad i mean that's the same reason as i'm dabbling with it also because it just it's a great video editing software which you can put anywhere else <laughs> It's, it's quick, isn't it? Instagram's really terrible. Um, as long as when you download it, you get rid of the TikTok brandings. Otherwise, it won't be generated by that? the algorithm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll send you a link <sighs> later on. Because otherwise, oh, wow. Reels won't share it if they see TikTok to... branding on it. I'll let no, you know. Listen. Well, oh, that TikTok buddies. It's all going to be great. <laughs> TikTok friends. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think, no, I think it's, it, I'm really glad you're on there. And I think it it can be used. It is a, a young audience. I think they say it's between like 16 and 25 or something. But mm. if you're in the business of educating and, and yes, these people are scrolling through videos the whole time, but they're doing that. So if that's where people are at the moment, until we can change that, if we ever are going to change it, let's try and make sure they've got content, which might stimulate something, you know, in the same yep. way. 
because it's yeah like you say we want to reach these people there's nothing worse than just being on two platforms and just every time you tweet or share a post it's the same 150 people seeing it you know, I'd, rather, I'd rather have the same 150 people following me on the, on all different platforms, to be honest. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I think you're reaching other people. I think you're no, reaching I'm... other people on TikTok. I hope yeah. you are. I know. No, no, TikTok is quite a different um, audience, actually. So, which is nice. I think so. I think so. Now and again, people like, and you go and you think, "Wow, what's this person liking this for?" And they're not your buddy who lives up the road or someone you know, someone you've never met before who's got a picture of a, I don't know, their pugs. Yeah. And that's all they've got. And you think, wow, I've reached someone I wouldn't have reached just in my Facebook group. So no, good. I'm, I'm glad you're on there. And if anyone is on TikTok, I don't want to get anyone on TikTok unnecessarily. But if you are secretly, you can keep your secret user 1964 name so you can watch all the porn stuff. But <laughs> with your secret name, also look for underscore the LD physio underscore, because then have a break from the other stuff you're watching and, and get educated because there's some <laughs> amazing videos on there. Really good stuff. You can learn whilst you indulge um, and also check out one chat live as well you know just have a little break yeah you know you need to rest those muscles you don't want an overload injury repetitive strain anyway we're getting slightly bored now so anyway um alistair it's been an absolute pleasure mate um it's lovely i really respect everything you do and without getting too sentimental or open up floods of tears i'm i mean i can't think of a better way of kind of celebrating the life of jonathan your brother of just continuing and using his story and everything to kind of get this massive message out there for everybody else and everybody who's either got learning disability or lives with somebody who learned disability or hopefully people like yourselves listening to the podcast who are now going to think you know what i can broaden my horizons and work with people with a learning disability i haven't got to be fearful or judge them um and i really hope that you're flooded with um inquiries about the course you're doing which let's just shout out one more time because i want this to fill up like in a week i want it to be <laughs> you know it should be you know um yeah. it's let's just repeat it once more so it's in april saturday april the 22nd saturday april 22nd starting at nine o'clock it's online only tickets are going to be through eventbrite link um and it's the title is it's working title but it's learn disabilities for mainstream um healthcare uh, mainstream professionals um, I think it's going from from uh, from beginner to better. So I'll get that illustration in there again. Okay, brilliant. And if people are interested and want to get news, then uh, yeah, they can email you directly. Um, that was email address vldphysio at gmail dot com. Okay. And by the way, if you listen to this podcast, which went out on twenty first of February, this is the first time. So if you listen to YouTube, then if you're interested in getting there straight away. Um, because I'm hoping and planning that you're going to get inundated with people who are interested. So I hope. Let's just bring up a few closing comments from people who joined us. Thank you, people who joined us live. It makes all the difference. I've said it so many times. I probably mm. wouldn't do this if it wasn't live. It doesn't matter if there's less than 20 of you. It just makes it different. It's it's live. And so much isn't live these days. It's all recorded. Um, Nikki Mansfield says, beautifully expressed, Al, every human we have the privilege of helping. Isn't that lovely? Nikki's got wonderful words. Yeah. Every human we have the privilege of helping needs helping in a different way. And the journey to discovering that is a joyful one. Wow. <sighs> Group hug. Yeah. Very nice, Nikki. So true. Um, Susie Lee has said, this has been fascinating and eye-opening. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Susie Lee. Thank I you. I really appreciate that. And then Gary again, founder of the STA, said thank you for your vision and expertise, Alistair. Uh, thank you too. Thank you everyone for listening. And Matt, I appreciate you giving me the chance to um, to, to spread a message because that's all it is really. I'm just a physio with a big gob who's <laughs> here to spread a message really. It's, it's your genetics, what you can do about it. 
Yeah. Very healthy. Yorkshire. <laughs> Yorkshire. I drink um, Yorkshire tea, yeah. Exactly. I'm, 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 I'm biologically um, contracted to say that. <laughs> there you go very nice right uh, don't press any buttons yet alistair i'm just going to close down the live lounge no people problem. if you've been interested uh, uh if you listen to the podcast then we are back next week continuing this focus on mental health and learning disability we're going to be back next week if you want to join us live that'll be february the 28th episode 138 with sta representative actually ryan smith who a lot of you all know if you're if you're a member of the sta he's going to be in with um co-host of let's be frank podcast jack coward um, if you're not aware of what they do they're the creators of the let's be frank podcast which is a mental health awareness podcast that gives men a platform and a safe space where they can stand up and speak out about their life struggles and mental health challenges uh be an excellent episode so much respect for these guys as well and their personal stories um, and it's something we need to talk about so if you want to join us live then just head to sports therapy association youtube channel at eight o'clock on february the 28th um, and hopefully we'll see some of you in the live lounge then. Alistair, once again, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Cheers. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.